couple of months ago, we had a missions conference in Ukraine for youth, and I had the privilege of speaking at that conference, and they asked me to speak on the topic of risk and Missio Dei. If you're not familiar with Missio Dei, that's the mission of God. And I thought, okay, first of all, how do I speak about that in this context where certainly we're thinking much more about risk these days than we were before the invasion last year? But secondly, how does that connect with God's ultimate purposes when we consider certain threats, dangers, risks that we might encounter? How do we look at that through the prism of God's purposes? And how do we make decisions when it comes to, in particular, ministries and the mission, whether or not I should go to a place where there is a certain level of risk, whether or not I should stay in a place where there is a certain level of risk. That was a decision that Christina and I and our family had to make and continue making, especially over the last 16 months. When we started to receive emails from the U.S. Embassy in Kiev back, I think all the way back in December of 2021, saying, this is dangerous, Russia's going to invade, all U.S. citizens should leave. And we received those emails in January and in February. By the time we got to February, almost, I think even every day, we were receiving emails from the U.S. Embassy in Kiev, which had already left Kiev, said all U.S. citizens need to leave. But we were still there. Why were we still there? Certainly, this is something that we don't think about as much when things seem to be more or less safe. But still, I think it's helpful for us all to go through that thought process. And so I'd like to kind of take you through the thought process that we also were, went through as a family. And I want to start by focusing on two verses here in Isaiah 42, and that's verses 8 and 9. Here, the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah, I am the Lord, that is my name, I will not yield my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Here we very clearly see what God's purpose is, right? It is His glory. And in this context, we understand that God is talking about His saving of His people. And he says, why do I do this? I do it for my own glory, for my own name, because these are my people, and if I don't save them, then people say, what kind of God is that that doesn't save his own people? And so there is an ultimate purpose of even our personal salvation, and that is God's glory. I think that sometimes we can easily lose focus of that, especially living in a very internally focused, selfish, narcissistic society where salvation becomes, it's just about me. And certainly there is a man aspect of salvation. Yes, God loves you, 
And he's saving you specifically. But it is primarily for his own glory that he is doing that. So we look at that in the aspect, in the context of salvation, but we also can think about it in the context of mission. Why do we go and why do we stay? And when I talk to people who are considering missions, I say, listen, you need to really carefully think about why you are going. Because the reason that you go to the mission field, that will be the reason that will keep you on the mission field. And it may be the reason that makes you leave the mission field. And so if we go to the mission field because it's exotic, because it's interesting, because we think we can make a name for ourselves, because of whatever other reason, maybe even good reasons, we just go there just because we want to help people, but we don't have the greatest reason behind us, then when things change, we will easily lose hope, leave, run away, and be done with it. And so this motivation of God's glory, is very vital in missions. And it's very vital in understanding the risk that we personally might face and often face in missions in certain areas. Because when we think of God's glory, God's glory is far greater than anything that could ever threaten us, right? And it's the only thing that really can be greater than those things that can threaten us. God's glory is the highest reason and is higher than any risk. And so the more that I seek God's glory in my life personally and in my ministry and in my mission, the more that I treasure his glory and that I understand his glory, the more prepared I am for what he has called me to do despite risks that might be present wherever he has called me to do his work. And I definitely advise anyone, especially young people that are thinking of missions, to study the book of Isaiah because it is filled with God's glory. One of the most powerful passages there is Isaiah chapter 6 where we see Isaiah's calling. And we see the glory of God in Isaiah's calling. In fact, look with me for a minute at Isaiah chapter 6. Here... We see, starting in verse 1, we see the following. It says, In the year of king, that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on his throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. What is Isaiah describing here? He's describing the glory of the Lord, isn't he? This is how Isaiah starts this, this seminal chapter about his calling as a minister, as a prophet, as a missionary. And he says in verse 2, Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet. With two wings they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his what? Glory. Wow. How vital is God's glory to Isaiah's calling? It's right there at the beginning. I mean, it is right, front, and center. Of course, Isaiah responds to this at first somewhat negatively in verse 5 where he says, Woe is is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. He realizes his own sin. And then we see the picture of the seraphim 
picturing his forgiveness coming to him with this burning coal and touching his lips. And then what is his response in verse 11? Well, he, he responds to the Lord actually earlier, and he, he says, I, I will go. Who will go from me? I will go, right? And then what's, what's interesting is that then God describes his ministry. Notice that Isaiah responds before he knows what kind of ministry he's going to be called to, right? Hey, my goodness, God is calling me. This is going to be a very significant ministry with great impact and probably thousands of people coming to Christ and everyone is going to know about me, the man of God who's been called. Wait a minute. What does he say? What kind of ministry is Isaiah actually called to here? He says, verse 11, he says, Lord, or, or he says, first of all, in verse 10, he says, people's hearts are going to be calloused. They're going to be ever hearing, never understanding. Their eyes are going to, ears are going to be dull. Their eyes are going to be closed. And then Isaiah said, how long, Lord? This doesn't sound like the ministry that I wanted, right? And God says, until cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left desolate, and the fields are ruined and ravaged. Friends, we've seen this in Ukraine. We've seen the desolation of war. This is not pretty, it's not desirable, and it's not safe. And this is what God is calling Isaiah to. This Isaiah is going to be what you are going to experience in ministry. But he says also in verse 13, he says, there's going to be a remnant or a tenth that remains. There will be fruit for this ministry, but it may not be visible at first. It may not even be visible at all to Isaiah. What I like about Isaiah is that Isaiah was a man who was called by God, who served faithfully. We know based upon the kings that he served during their time that he probably served for 50 years or more. Isaiah never saw a great response to his ministry, most likely. But he saw destruction. He saw pain. He saw suffering. And he had a lot of pushback. But he was faithful. Why was he faithful despite the difficulties, despite the risk, despite the dangers? Because he was going because he had seen God's glory. He was there for something greater. He was there to promote God's glory. And that's what we are there for in Ukraine. So sometimes people ask us, they say, well, isn't it risky there? Isn't it dangerous? They say, yeah, it is. But what? God's not more powerful? And not only that, but what we find is that in the midst of that risk and in the midst of the danger sometimes, we find that God does greater things. We've been in Ukraine since 2007, 16 years. In the last 16 months, we've seen more response to the gospel than in 16 years. That's why we're there. Why would we abandon the place where the gospel is being accepted? Where there's a need for gospel teachers and preachers. And so we're very, very glad to be in Ukraine. In fact, we went to Moldova for about a month, 
month and a half, we helped internationals who were fleeing. And after all the internationals left, Christine and I looked at each other and said, hey, we need to go back to Ukraine. We believe God was leading us back there. The ministries were, needs were greater. And the first time I went back, just I went back for a couple of days into the city, and I had been talking with our sending church pastor, and he said, Caleb, are you ready to die? I said, okay, yeah. You know, I know where I'm going. I'm ready to die. And so they gave us their blessing, their approval, and I went back. The next time I went, and I went back, of course, with big air raids, explosions, and I won't go into all of that, but God kept us safe. And the next time I went back, and I talked with our sending pastor again, he asked me a different question. He said, Caleb, are your children ready in case you would die in Ukraine? I can't answer that question for my children. So I said, I'll ask them. So that evening I gathered them, like we do sometimes in the evening, have a little family time, read the Bible and prayer. I said, listen, children, tomorrow I'm going back to Odessa. It is still dangerous there. I might, it's possible I could die there. Are you ready? I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, this is your father speaking. <laughs> like, maybe you should pause for a minute, at least to make me feel better. Think about it. One of my girls said, you know, we'd rather have you die serving Christ there than die of a heart attack at McDonald's in America. Okay. But that's the truth, isn't it? When we talk about risk for the believer, we must first of all understand the significance of God's glory and understand that God's glory is above the risk. In fact, think about it for a minute. What is risk? Risk is the possibility of loss. It's the possibility. It's not the fact of loss. It's just the possibility of loss of finances, of my home, my health, my loved ones, my life. We cannot avoid those things. Ultimately, we will all lose all of those things, right? Also, as finite human beings, we are terrible at predicting those things. Let's just think about COVID for a minute, right? We're terrible at predicting these things. How dangerous was it when you drove to church this morning? Oftentimes, we overlook dangers when we're doing something that we are really interested in and we really like. How many people love, you know, bike riding and motorcycle riding, all these things. Well, they're kind of dangerous. Sports that are dangerous. People are fine to do those sports, even though there's a high level of risk. And then things that we kind of are uncomfortable with, the smallest risk, is a problem for us. Risk is the result of fallenness and finiteness. But when we come to God, what do we see here in Isaiah 42, verses 8 and 9? He says, and this is very interesting in 8 and 9, how he puts these two things together. I had never connected these two things. He talks about his mission. His mission is his glory in verse 8, right? He's not going to give his glory to anyone else. And then he says this. See those things that happened in the past? I told you about them. They came to be. Things that will happen in the future, I will tell you about them. They will come to be. 
So when we talk about risk and we talk about our God, risk is not knowing the future, right? Not being able to control the future. There's no risk with God. He knows the future, right? He controls the future. There is no risk with God. Risk is loss. There's no loss with God. God never loses. There is no potential for loss with God. It can't happen. So really the only way for us to eliminate real risk is to walk with God and to do it for his glory. And by the way, we can do things for different reasons, right? And I can go to Ukraine for a different reason other than God's glory. And if I do, I can lose. But if I go to Ukraine for God's glory, then God wins. And I win, and I don't lose. God doesn't lose. So it's so empowering to understand these truths about God himself, his glory, his knowledge of everything, his foreknowledge, and his control. I think it's important that we understand that the goal of the Christian life is not to just avoid all sorts of risk. We live in a society where insurance companies seem like they they almost control everything now. You can't do this, and you can't do that, and you have to have insurance for this, and it becomes a little crazy after a while. I found out that when I'm in Ukraine, if I'm injured by military action, or if I die by military action, my life insurance says, no thank you. My health insurance says, no thank you. Look at your health and life insurance. Almost all of them will have an act of war exclusion. And so then I said, okay, well, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I don't know. What did Paul do? Did Paul have life insurance? He was in some pretty risky places, right? I don't think I'm any better than Paul. We trust God in those things. In fact, it was Paul in Philippians 1.21 that says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is crazy talk. That is crazy talk. Go tomorrow to your neighbor, knock on their door, and tell them, to die is gain for me. I'll say, let me call the crazy house and let's get somebody out here to talk to you. But, what does Paul also say? Philippians 3, verse 8, he says, what is more, I consider everything loss. Talk about risk, right? Paul said, I consider everything loss. Risk is the potential of loss. Paul considers all lost. When you have considered all loss, you have no more risk, right? It's already all lost. I've given it all up. I've given it all up for God. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, who, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And I want to be very clear that when you lose everything, in contrast, you gain Christ, and when you gain Christ, you can never lose him. There's no risk. Russian missiles cannot take Christ from me. COVID cannot take Christ from you. 
no other person, no other government. Nothing can take Christ from you. There is no risk in that. But my home, my finances, my car, they can all be lost. So, we see examples of this in the scripture. In fact, we see that risk and the idea of faith go very hand in hand. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 11, where so some very interesting things that recently as I was studying this just jumped off the page to me. Hebrews 11, verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the Pharaoh's daughter. That was risky, wasn't it? I mean, he could have played it safe. Hey, I'm in the Pharaoh's household. I have power, I have authority. He chose the risk. On the human side, right? We're talking about risk. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Do you see the contrast here? Do you see how this changed his perspective? Do you see how it strengthened him to pursue God, to pursue Christ, despite the risk? Hebrews 11 is a great chapter of the hall of faith, right? And later in verse 35, also very interesting, it says this, Hebrews eleven thirty-five: Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Friends, that's very difficult for us to understand. They chose the risk. They chose the danger. They chose what was extremely uncomfortable, painful, because they were living for God's glory. They knew there was something better out there. And so they they chose that. Of course, another example is Paul himself as he describes his life as a minister of God in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, where he says, I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I mean, my goodness. He's either making a lot of bad decisions... Or he's living for the glory of God. And I think he was living for the glory of God. That understanding changes our attitude when it comes to certain risks. I think also important for us as we thought through this, prob- this problem, this, this idea of risk and danger is calling. And do note that in Isaiah 42... It's interesting that in verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, have called you. God is speaking to his called people. Of course, this is general, his calling of of the people of Israel. But we believe that God also calls people to ministry. He leads certain people to minister in certain places. So, for instance, Paul himself said in Romans 1 and in other places, he said, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. 
1 Timothy, he reminds Timothy of his calling. And he says, don't, don't neglect the gift that was in you, that was, was given to you. You were called to the gospel. He says, that's in verse, it's 1 Timothy 4.10, he says, that's why we labor and strive. And for us, for Christina and I, we are very confident that God has called us to the ministry and called us to Ukraine. We don't believe that he's called everyone to Ukraine. We don't know where he's called you. Maybe he's called some of you to Ukraine, or maybe he's called some of you, he is calling some of you, to some place that might have a level of danger. But there is a confidence in that calling. I would really encourage you that if you are considering missions, if you are considering ministry, to, to be sure of your calling. To, to go to the church leaders and talk through that calling. To go to respected Mature Christians and talk with them about your calling. To pray about it and look back in your life and see how God has led you as evidence of your calling. All of those things were very important for us. And then finally, here I also want to share just, again, from Philippians chapter, tw- or chapter 1. It's very interesting how Paul puts this in perspective. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he goes on in verse 22 and he says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Now we know that when Paul was in Philippi, he was persecuted. And at the end of this chapter, he says that they're going through the same persecutions that he went through. This was a dangerous and difficult time for them. And Paul emphasizes this fact that to be with you physically is important. Physical presence is important in the gospel ministry. Again, I think this is partly a lesson that we learned during COVID. We cannot effectively minister the gospel through a screen. There is some aspects of communication that work. And God uses it in some limited ways. But the most effective gospel ministry is in person. And some people have said to us, why why are you there? Why don't you just leave? Why don't you just send money? And my answer is, one, God has called us. And number two, our personal presence with Ukrainians is powerful. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Because when I go to a town on the front lines and literally there are artillery shells flying over our heads or guided missiles. I've been in both ministry contexts where literally I've seen the missiles fly over our heads and I've heard the artillery shells fly and explode nearby. And when I'm in those contexts and I pick up God's word and I begin sharing with them the hope, it means something to them. But if I was to record something and send them a YouTube video of something I recorded while I was safe and sound thousands of miles away. 
it wouldn't have the same significance, would it? So God uses the physical presence of his people to minister in deep ways to those who need to hear the gospel and to minister in powerful ways to his people. What an encouragement that is. When they see, they say, you're American. You could leave if you want. You have means. You don't have to be here. Why are you here? And we say, we're here because of Christ. We're here because of the gospel. And that means something. We see this in Paul here in Philippians chapter 1. He understood the power of ministering and being physically in the presence of people. It's something that we should not forget about. So yes, we are in a somewhat dangerous place. I don't want you to think that we're just needlessly risking our lives. I mean, we're not running through minefields and saying glory to God or anything like that. We're trying to use wisdom as well. And, uh, and, and, and there are times when it's very quiet and very calm in Odessa. Unfortunately, there are times when it's not. But I've had the privilege of fellowshipping and speaking with many pastors and church leaders who are in even more dangerous areas than I am. And you can see the power of God in them and through them and the impact of their ministries. And I'm very grateful to be able to share fellowship with some of those people. So we ask that you continue to pray for us and I ask that you would also carefully consider your motivations. It's easy just to go through life and not even think about these things when things are stable and relatively safe. But it is important for the believer to go through these thought processes now. Think about these things now while you have an opportunity to. Because we'll all face a certain amount of risk at different times in our life, even here in the United States. May we go through those, looking through the prism of God's word, through his glory, through his knowledge, his foreknowledge. And may we trust in him. And may it bring glory to him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your power. Despite dangerous times, situations, we see so many examples of people who have trusted you, who have pursued you in your glory, and you have blessed them by making them powerful testimonies for your love and for your grace. We pray that you would do so in our lives as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.